0: All right, I'm going to hit record after I go get an apple. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, I'm done. That was that last bite. All right, well, I watched one more episode of Westworld and it went to shit. So, I felt like it was 4 hours long and it yeah. was just 55 minutes. It's horrible. The um I actually thought it was amazing up until that Japanese episode. And I'm like, "What the mm. fuck is going on?" Now mm, I don't think I watched that one. Now we're in Oh, it gets worse, man oh man the, oh jesus the whole episode is like they're in the, like the japanese Westworld, and it's like it's like all cliche japanese samurai and ninja cliches oh yeah and it's nothing happens storyline wise and it's just like super cringeworthy and i was like oh fuck well right after i tried to make the case that Westworld was still good
0: yeah no we've I,
1: i've sealed it off
0: from my will i watch this i'll watch something new i haven't seen before watching that damn yesterday two days ago we were hanging out at my place and, and we were just all gonna watch a movie and they're like what movie should we watch and this is always kind of a process it's always like yep. you know you have like six people you got to figure out which kind of movies people are gonna watch and i had the remote <clears throat> and so i put on i'd actually never seen hot fuzz i knew that this was a good movie i knew edgar wright's style of comedy and i knew the room would enjoy something that was kind of punchy irreverent maybe European and I so I, I recommended a movie that I had never seen and this is kind of a risky proposition yeah best of the century movie picks I am I am the recommendation engine everybody like <laughs> that I feel like the meta information about a movie is more important than the actual content of the movie
1: damn you are the Netflix algorithm
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards I had I had the YouTube videos queued up where they talk about the movies and you know give you even more insight into into how they why they're good you know it's good but why is it good kind of thing
1: huh I have not seen any of those either I don't think.
0: Really? You've never seen Shaun of the Dead?
1: I don't think so. I think I've I if there's any of them I've seen it's like Shaun of the Dead a long time ago, but none of the others. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that yeah, Hot yeah. Fuzz and World's End were connected to it.
0: Yep. Yep. They're not the same characters, this is just the same actors, um, but they're all in the kind of same similar vein and it's kind Hot of like, Fuzz is fucking great.
1: It's like a James Franco Seth Rogen set.
0: Yep. Yep, Got exactly. It. Exactly. And yeah, I recommend them. Uh, and then the, I also recommend the Nerdwriter episode on how Edgar Wright does comedy. Um, and that, that's very good on just like how he's just like innovating. And it's, it's not clear when you're watching it how he innovates, but he just makes every, he can make everything funny. You know, he can just with camera shots, he can explain <clears throat> so much information. And he's just like making good movies. And then it shows a bunch of examples of how lazy, boring filmmaking is done and how actually that's most movies nowadays is just lazy and boring and no one gets the space to like be creative and try new forms and be funny with new techniques. A lot of people standing around telling jokes. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I recommend that as well. And uh, that's kind of where I get my nerd writer Lessons from the Screenplay, uh, Now You See It, and Every Frame of Painting. R I P,
1: every frame of painting.
0: Actually, how Edgar Wright does comedy is an every frame of painting one. If you just like watch a bunch of like YouTube videos on how movies are made, Captain Disillusion on like how visual effects are made and just kind of the behind the curtain stuff, it gets you a lot of domain knowledge and then you can become this kind of recommendation engine. You can kind of see through media and you don't have to go see Infinity War, basically <laughs> <laughs> to to know that you wouldn't like it. And I think just like getting to the root of things a little bit faster by going down rabbit holes you know what i mean like get, yeah. it's not hard to get a little bit of domain knowledge and a little bit of domain knowledge goes a long way
1: yeah and i i feel like that's just how i consume things like that's what i personally enjoy like i, I like to enjoy it as it is but then i want to know like how did they do that what did they do what is the you know what i mean what makes mm-hmm. this movie a good movie well they did this this interesting you know or like rather than just viewing the surface level um yeah, so I know I know what you mean there, <clears throat> and it does get you a long way usually because then you can see how it's used in other movies and you and like sometimes like movies or music or whatever they like reference each o- reference each other in ways that you wouldn't pick up on unless you were watching the movie at that level.
0: Uh, have you you haven't seen Solo yet? Have you?
1: I haven't. I actually I did see a movie this weekend. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go see a movie. I um I had like a day of doing errands and I was just, I like to go to the movies alone. And I was like, which movie do I want to see? And I picked Deadpool two before over solo (laughs) oh really yeah yeah i like i like like the first deadpool and i i thought it was funny and not my like one of my all-time favorite movies ever but picked it over solo
0: that's crazy to me i never saw deadpool one uh everybody says it was good and it's like one of those movies i feel compelled to see and so that makes me not want to see it (laughs) i gotta be part of everyone's like be part of the zeitgeist and i'm like no (laughs) i refuse it's not something. It, it's not something that innately interests me. So you're not going to be able to convince me to do it based on the fact that everyone else likes it. Alone.
1: Uh, I think it's the f- first like uh, movie that I like really liked Ryan Reynolds. In. He's actually like he was made for that role. Like I don't think the movie is like perfect. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't say it's a must see. Like if you have a lazy Sunday you know why not i guess watch it it's funny the character's funny like the plot is lacking and stuff like that but ryan reynolds is just like hilarious and it was kind of his uh baby like he made the project happen and stuff gotcha
0: yeah no it, it got good reviews and everyone seemed to like it and it shook up the genre a little bit the superhero whatever uh there's a good uh maybe now you see it or nerd writer on just like where genre goes after it's been played out you know does mm-hmm. it become there's like you can do the satire of it the self-parody basically, which is what Deadpool is. You can do the you know, the mix-up, the changing expectations, which is kind of what Logan is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's just different ways genre can go after it's been wrung out of its normal tropes, and so that Deadpool fits squarely in that, and so I think eventually I'll see it. I think that was the weekend battle, was Deadpool 2 versus Solo, and Solo got hammered. Solo is hurting. Eventually, once you see it, because I feel like just Star Wars in general is something we should talk about culturally it's such a good barometer of where we're at if we can make good Star Wars movies I feel like the rest of (laughs) culture is okay (laughs) that's all I need is we can make good Star Wars movies I don't want it to die I don't want Disney to take Star Wars to the back shed Mm. Solo's getting hammered in the box office right now no one saw it Just an interesting backstory on movie making as well as uh, an interesting movie to talk about Uh, I enjoyed it but uh, I'll leave it there for Parker to go see it and we can talk about Solo uh, some other time but uh, go see Solo. I recommend it.
1: You we're riding the crest of a high, beautiful wave. So now, now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west, and with the right kind of eye, you can almost see the high water I finished Zero to One today. Yeah. Peter Thiel's book. Yeah, I thought my hot take on it was I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. I think I. I I have this little like, um, tiny book of like sticky note tags that when I'm reading a good book, I tag it up, um, with like, you know, good bits that I'd want to come back to. And I put tags all over this thing. Uh, I thought it was really good. I think it had strong points and weak points. Um, but man, I think he really nailed it on some of the stuff. Like what's wrong with society and how we're like, and how like indefinite optimism breeds these industries of, of finance and, uh, um, law and management consulting where people like aren't really building things. Um, and, like, how that fucks up our future and stuff like that. I thought I just thought the whole thing was overall, like, really good. It, it, Peter Thiel earned some respect back in my book. Like, I, I always yeah. knew he was good. And I, I know he's a smart guy. and I disagree with some of his things. Um, but I bought this book to, like, fully read in. And, you know, I think he's right on even more than I thought he was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit scary. And you realize how smart he is and how right he is about a lot of different things. And then you see the outcome, which is, like full throated support of Trump and full throated funding of Facebook and creation of like things like palantir it's just like oh god this guy yeah. understands the world totally and is now making it shitty
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh, so I, i'd still launch him into the sun yeah, yeah still just yeah. fucking rocket that baby yeah. into, the, into the fucking coronal
1: and i'm glad that the book did never it never became peter teal's idea of how we should fix the world it really mm-hmm. didn't become that it was like here is how the world is broken and he like really systematically lays out how it's broken And here is the general approach for fixing it. Like, here's how you fix it. You go out, you build something new, you create value, and then you capture some of that value. Um, But he never goes into, here's how we should fix the world, Um, which I'm glad because I feel like I agree with everything in this book. But I know if we got into his specific idea of how he would fix the world, like specifically, it would be everyone should be able to sell their kidneys on eBay and we should abolish the government. Right. Yep. And so, like, I right. still disagree with like that Trump side of Peter Thiel, but I completely agree with all of his ideas and how things are broken and how they will be fixed and can be fixed. Right.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot from you realize that he is probably the kernel of the PayPal mafia. Right. Yes. You realize that Elon Musk is who he is because he was so exposed to Peter Thiel. And, yeah. um, you know, all those guys fucking uh, read Hoffman. Hoffman. Right. All those guys are kind of, they have very similar takes on the world just because they've iterated on it and they see that that's how you actually do it. Elon Musk has a, a, a similar thing to the kind of four-quadrant diagram that Peter Thiel talks about. So the four-quadrant diagram is like the, you know, what is it, optimist optimist and pessimist is one axis and then the other one is kind of... Um,
1: it's, it's definite and indefinite.
0: Definite and indefinite, so... Right. So the indefinite optimists think the world just kind of slowly gets better and you can just go into like finance. And, you know, if we just keep the capitalist machine running, it'll get better. And and you have the indefinite pessimists, which kind of think the world is going to shit slowly. Um, and there's really it's not any discrete actions that do it. It's just kind of the whole uh, mess of it. And then you have discrete optimists um, are definite optimists, which, you know, Elon Musk's take on this is the world doesn't just get better. Like you have to make things that make the world better. You have to invent shit. You have to go build. You have to click things together that nobody else clicked together before. And then you got to scale it. You got to like actually put effort into something new to make the world a better place. And uh, I think that's where Peter Thiel exists as well.
1: So I brought my the book up just to flip through and see if there's any like, good quotes. Because I, I just read it. How long ago did you read it?
0: Uh, a few weeks. I read it. I binged it too. I read it in one evening
1: one evening i think i did it in two set setting settings but it's not one evening but i definitely read this one fast it's easy to read peter till's one yep. of those guys who can uh talk a little but say a lot
0: yep he gets to the point
1: he gets to the point it's not like hyper technical reading but he just you know a to b to c to d here are the examples
0: yeah even the title comes up a lot you know if you're listening to a 16z podcast or whatever people say one to or zero to one instead of one to n you know look for companies that go zero to one don't look for companies to go one to n yeah Um, linear scaling you know rot something out of nothing
1: and then some of his ideas are i think things that we've talked about a lot i don't know if on the podcast or not um that he just words them in a slightly different way and i was like oh that's totally this idea but i've just never framed it that way so like another example is uh he has a chapter called you are not a lottery ticket um Mm -hmm. where he just talks about the role of luck and stuff like that and i think the title of this chapter is actually misleading and i think the summary of this chapter could be uh, work hard to get lucky yeah which is a lot of stuff that we have talked about a lot um, where you work hard and settle this stuff up to increase your chances of getting lucky but it still is luck um, so I think the title is still in this but that's essentially what he's saying is that you need to work hard to get lucky um, so yes luck plays a role but if you don't um, work hard to have the chance at it it's not definitely not going to happen
0: yeah exactly and that none of it is just going to fall in your lap yes you, have, you, can, you do control won. the
1: future to some extent it's like you control mm-hmm. the probability of events happening
0: mm-hmm the only sure thing is if you do nothing nothing will happen to you. Yes. That's pretty that's that one's pretty good.
1: Um let's see. Some of my other favorite parts in here, um he does postmortems uh, pretty much of like two industries. He talks about um the biotech industry and the energy industry actually, like the yep. well, I guess the clean tech bubble of like the early 2000s. Yep. Um and just talks about how, hey, here are all the principles I laid out. Now let's look at an example. Like look at all the red flags in this bubble from the 2000s. Of you know these companies were entering huge markets that were ultra competitive they weren't differentiated um, yada 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 they didn't have vision and here's the bubble I thought it was really good
0: yeah clean tech I I watch the clean tech space a lot and it does go through this cycle of boom and bust very quickly because it's just not it's just not geared towards traditional venture capital um, you're not going to get 10x returns in two or three years with a clean tech you know hard research company and most of the all the visitors are gone from clean tech that's for sure the one the clean tech vcs and accelerators and stuff that are still around have like weathered some shit uh and it's hardware is hard it's in the name and um it it, it's it's just a very difficult industry to have like a huge to be the facebook of energy or whatever Mm -hmm. um because a lot of it relies on like fundamental research it relies on an expanse of something new but that's very hard to then do in the real world. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of green pasture left in um, kind of in, in this area, right? You're not like Thomas Edison where you just like put, put wires in everybody's houses. You know, I like, yeah, just like, you know, you could just like totally scale. Like this is something that everyone needs. Like this is the killer app. You know, everyone's going to have this in a few years. You know, this is absolutely vital. It's a lot slower than that. It's a lot more convincing. It's very hard to come up with a clean tech product. That is like an iPhone where people f- didn't know it existed and now they need to have it. There's very few clean tech ideas that could be that.
1: Yeah. Oh, I thought that part was great. Um, a- Another chapter I liked was um, this one called Secrets where he tries to divide like um, problems and uh, facts and stuff up into there's conventions which are things that everyone knows the sky is blue stuff like that common knowledge is convention. There are secrets, which are things that like are undiscovered that you could like build a company on, right. Or differentiate your company on. And then there are mysteries he calls them, which are things that are just impossible to know. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how people have a lot of people have this like naive idea that there aren't any secrets left and that there aren't like problems left to fix, but there's a ton of problems uh, left Mm -hmm. to fix. And like, why, how did this happen? That there's people think there's not things left to discover um i thought that part was great and then he, he talks about it um it actually reminded me a ton of um god i can't remember if it was carl sagan or richard Feynman. i think it might have been carl sagan but carl sagan has a quote where he's like um uh what is it like he has a quote where it's like figuring out a problem uh it, it's the the act of like figuring, solving a problem is greatly helped by the knowledge of whether or not a solution exists hmm. Right. So if you're if you're working on something and you know, there's a solution, you can keep at it and you, you know, there's has to be a way to the end. Right. Because yeah. someone else has solved this somewhere. It's it is doable. So I, I might not have figured it out yet. But I know by working on this, that it is possible to solve it. That helps so much. Right. Because otherwise, any problem you're tackling in work or life or anything like that, you if you if you're questioning whether or not a solution exists, you're you're taking that into account, too. Right. It's like, well, how much time am I going to sink into this when a solution might not even exist? And you're trying to, like, do that balancing act. But if you know a solution exists, um, then that whole thing is taken out of the equation. And it's just how fast can I get to it? Um, Alternatively, if you know absolutely for certain that it's impossible, then you shouldn't be working on it anyway. Um, So, yeah, he covers those kind of ideas, too. You find
0: a secret by then telling that idea to some people and then seeing their pushback. Mm -hmm. You know, when people say liquid fuels have such a high energy density that doing anything else for transportation is just not going to work, right, If, if you come up with the idea of an electric car. And, you know, people just like, you know, maybe they're very sophisticated reasons of why this will not work, but clearly we're suboptimal. So we got to, we got to invent something new. Um, And so if you see a way to the newness, you know, throw that at people and see how they react because usually it's a, oh, actually this is the situation currently is optimal. And it's like, you already know that to not be true because you're looking at it and it's clearly not optimal. Like you could envision a better world. And so if anyone If you can throw those ideas at people and they come up with oh no if they respond in like kind of a panglossian way that this is the this is the optimal world like it'll never not be this way then you know that you you're on like an open secret you know if you can see something that's less optimal and and the only arguments against it are no it's actually optimal i also love his comment you you commented this too like boasting of a large market potential is like a red flag
1: this is a big thing I feel like I pulled from.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and people, I've seen pitches like this. I've made pitches like this. So it's like, oh, it's a, you know, $10 billion market. So if we can capture 1% of that, we're profitable, made a little company for ourselves. And it's like, no, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, how are you going to get that 1%? Yeah. This is like a hyper competitive, huge environment Um, that you're going to try to like bootstrap yourself into and you're just going to run into a wall.
1: Yeah. And even if you do capture your 1%, you're immediately going to be, you're going to face brutal competition. Absolutely, horrible competition that's going to copy you, try and push you out. Um, These huge markets are full of uh, nasty competitors. And then his line he likes to joke about is like, if you're entering a trillion dollar market that's ultra, you know, ultra competitive with your startup, you might as well have started a restaurant in Palo Alto. Yeah. That's what that is. Like food is is a massive market, but the restaurant world is brutally competitive. Like that's what you're entering into. Pick a small market first, dominate it, and then move on to the next market or expand your market. Um, Right.
0: Like there's not a lot of hard work that you have to do if there's no hard work anywhere in the equation (laughs) then it doesn't seem like uh you have like a super good plan um but yeah i think uh just going in and like going up against behemoths is just not an interesting thing i don't want to do that you know going in against ge or people who can just outspend you and out you know i just don't want to go up against amazon ever like yeah it just seems to be the thing to avoid pick somewhere pick somewhere where nobody else is looking um you know, tiny little market, tiny little niche thing, uh, and and the scaling comes later. Like Amazon did not think it was going to take over all of retail. It thought it could be a better bookstore, um, yep. and and then scaled and did all this other crazy shit. Um, but yeah, the 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 immediate like being the next Facebook is just not a thing that you can reasonably endeavor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I feel like he picks the um, like the provocative take on this book, and the thing that like I guess my impression of this book and Peter Thiel has always been like, oh, he's like a monopolist, right? And he pushes for monopoly, and there's all these bad things of monopoly and like hurting the customer and stuff like that. I think, I feel like that's the provocative way of like framing the book. I feel like a more accurate way though is just avoid competition. It's competition right. that's bad, you know, comp- and that's really what the book is about is is being careful of who you compete with and not being sure that your tension doesn't drift to the competition. And I feel like a lot of this can even apply in like your own career and stuff like that. Like stop focusing on competing with coworkers and stuff like that and focus on um, the work you're doing and the, the outcome and stuff like that. And that will get you so much farther. And the irony is that you will outcompete people by doing that, you know? So yep. like if, if you join your company and one guy knows a crap ton about uh, policy, uh, and you and you and you come in, and like that's valued at the firm. And no one knows um, no one knows the tech side of things. Some people's instincts are, well, I want to be as good as that guy in the firm. I'm going to start learning policy too, so I can perform like him. But what you should actually yep. do is go the opposite direction. If he's specialized in policy, you should specialize in the tech side or something like that, and avoid the competition. And make yourself valuable by becoming more specialized, not by out-competing the guy that's already performing in that space.
0: A lot of this book comes down to that. It's just kind of trust yourself, be more fundamental about it, and solve problems. You know, don't be competitive. Don't be the, don't fall into any of the indefinite boxes, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. Be definite about the things that you're going to do. Solve problems. Solve problems. Another thing Peter Thiel uh, argues for, which maybe hypocritically, maybe not, is don't go to grad school. Well, he argues, Uh like, don't even go to college. Um, You know, someone with a Stanford law degree and (laughs) whatever. Uh, It's totally hypocritical for him to say that. And I think this is where, you know, obviously there's more nuanced uh, conversations to be had about education than don't have it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, Lazio or Yudkowsky and others um, speak about this point a lot, is that, like, accreditation is what you're looking for, right? You want to go to Harvard so that you can get the Harvard degree on your wall and then put Harvard on your resume and it'll just, like, reap a bunch of benefits. You don't go there because it's, like, a much better education. You don't go there because, like, coming out of it, you have skills that no one else in the world has. Or they're unlearnable anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's it's for the it's for the name. Like, it's for, you're paying for the piece of paper. You're paying for the accreditation.
1: The credential, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, Peter Thiel is like kind of right in that you can learn all the skills outside of college that you <clears throat> need to be successful, whatever. Um, but that's not really the, that's not really why we're, we're going anyway. You know, there's, it's, it's more fucked up than that. It's even more fucked up than you <laughs> don't go. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's a little more complex than the one. I think, I think he sees it as t- in, tied to this, um, indefinite optimism thing mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm smart I'm not quite sure what I want to do. But if I know I just keep stacking up these credentials, I can go into the good thing at the end. Right. Right. And it will like never bother me. And so you end up with these systems of like lawyers and, um, doctors who get decades of education and they are essentially fence sitting, right? They're not making any decisions or taking bets to go into something. Um, and I guess that's, that's a good reason to not get, go to higher ed for something like grad school or law or something like that. I kind of view it as like make sure it's like a means to an end is I guess how I, I've kind of been viewing it now of like if you want to go back to grad school or if you want to get like a higher education degree make sure it's because it's for something very specific that you want to do not because yep. you're smart and you're not sure what you want to do right if you're, if you're yeah. smart and you're not sure what you want to do like and you and this is past like your bachelor's I feel like then like go create value or go work your way up and go solve some hard problems um, or if mm-hmm. you like, if you know, like, I want to be the guy that's like pushing the boundaries on um, like applied machine learning stuff, then by all means, go get a, a PhD in uh, in computer science at uh, right. Carnegie Mellon. But don't don't just be like, oh, well, well, I'm I'm not quite sure where I want to end up, and I'm tired of my job, so I'm gonna go back to school. It's like make yeah. sure it's a means to an end to get you somewhere. Where can it get exactly. you with that credential that you couldn't? And are up? there
0: other ways to get there? Are there better ways to get there than going back to school?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: It's it's kind of the difference I, I put. For grad school, on the end of the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, there's the masters in engineering. You're there for one year. You're taking like six aerospace classes, and you're getting a masters in aerospace engineering. And you're solving a lot of equations, and you're doing a lot of homework. You're just like solving a lot of these domain specific problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're getting, you're like specializing. You know, you're just there's not a there's not a great way to learn rocket engineering than by like being forced to learn it you're like forcing yourself to learn it and in like a high stress environment and um it's not a bad uh credential to have it's like it mean it still means something mm-hmm. um, it means you have these skills and someone who didn't do this probably doesn't have these skills it's very hard to learn this on your own it's very hard to learn this in an unstructured way and so getting a master's in engineering in a specific discipline i think is still like a value add and usually they're not that expensive and usually you can get paid to do them by your employer or whatever, it's very much a means to an end degree. Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, in grad school is, I think, the MBA. I think even farther than a PhD on the spectrum of kind of just indefinite optimism, nebulous learning skills mm-hmm. is an MBA. I think mm-hmm. there there are some good skills to learn in there. You know, maybe the math of finance, um, maybe some marketing skills that uh, you wouldn't normally be able to expose yourself to. But I think the MBA is kind of this like total credential based, uh, not learning a whole lot, super expensive, lack of goal orientation degree that doesn't make any sense to do.
1: And yeah, so I feel like Peter Thiel's taking the extreme view on that. It's like, well, throw the baby out with the bathwater type of thing. Like right. Get rid of all this stuff. I think there's some there are good reasons to go through that stuff. And I, I definitely believe in. I feel like I, I still have a fairly strong belief in like an undergraduate education. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like there's problems with it still. Maybe as I get older, like I'll have more perspective on it. I do think like the industry is screwed up um, like the cost. And uh, I, don't, I don't think colleges are clear at all to students about um, the outcomes of their degree. And that seems yeah. unethical to me. It seems unethical to me that colleges can just take this stance of like, oh, we're doing like liberal arts and we don't we don't tell you anything about what you should study. You should just be here to learn and blah, blah, blah. And I think, well, yeah, yeah, a student should be able to study whatever they want, but the college should be transparent about what the outcomes of that degree are. Yep. Um, and they're just not at all. And, and that should be an important thing to a student who's going there indefinitely optimistic and is like, well, I'm just going to be here to kind of learn. And it's like, well, an important factor for that while you're like meandering your way through courses would be, hey, this series of courses uh, leads to an in-demand field with frozen yogurt machines. Mm-hmm. And this series of courses leads to a dying industry that probably needs to completely collapse before it can make any progress. <laughs> like, and, and there's yeah. ultra competition and you're not going to get paid well and there's nowhere to go unless you get a PhD.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: That I, IE that's like a psychology undergrad.
0: <laughs> right. And yeah. it, it, the gradient towards difficulty and the gradient of how much do you get paid are like the same gradient, right? <laughs> there's no new information there. There's not a whole lot of new information in either of those gradients, um, so you, we're just funneling people—you know—left to their own devices. We're just funneling people away from the things that pay them more and and, and are by proxy, you know, maybe a little bit more useful uh, yeah. to society. Th- that th- that's definitely not a um, useful heuristic to say that if you're getting paid more, you're useful. Um, I think inv- every investment banker should just get fired, um, yeah. and then all their firms collapse. And yeah, just fuck that—they get paid way too much. Barring all that you know left to our own devices there's a lot more people transferring out of engineering than into it um, really just because it's just because it's fucking hard right there's yeah. a, of course like there's a lot of people start in engineering and don't finish in engineering there's not a lot that go the other way and that's easy to do when you're just left to your own devices and there's so many other distractions in college and um just pretty fucking easy to uh, transfer out yeah you know there's not a lot of there's not a lot of reason to stay the course i don't think
1: yeah actually thinking back to like our time at madison i remember how siloed the engineering school was mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting actually how the rest of the college is so like free floating you float around but then there's engineering students who were kind of i think you even had to like have a separate application like you could get yep. into uw madison right but you could not get into the engineering program correct right which is kind of the opposite of this like liberal arts idea of like yep <laughs> Kind of. i mean anyway so all this like negative talk whatever about what's messed up about college i do think there is value to like spending this time like learning for learning's sake mm-hmm. and coming out with like a broad base of knowledge um, yeah definitely yeah so I don't say with like the Peter Thiel here where it's like I'll pay you like his fund or whatever I'll pay you to drop out of college and just start building stuff it's like well yeah it's useful to spend a couple of years like building a broad base because you never know like how many crazy things are interconnected
0: right um, yeah exactly college is it should be an exploratory time you know I had like a different internship every summer and I was there for five years and you know I went to a state school it wasn't all that expensive and I had like obviously uh ways to pay for it via rich parents that um kind of ease the burden on that but you know even if i had to take out loans i think it would still be you know incredibly worth it to go um just all the people you meet and the experiences you can have that i mean it was fucking awesome it was just like a, it's gonna be a highlight of your life going to college i think yeah um, there's just no reason it has to be uh, so expensive
1: yeah And it does seem kind of um, it does seem kind of backwards in a way where you have these like at an R1 research university, these professors who have so much to contribute, um, but they're justifying like their time doing research and contributing by like teaching courses to like rooms of students where they're essentially they're kind of like a YouTube video. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not when it's a 300 person lecture hall. It's not very interactive. No, Um, it kind of doesn't make sense. Um, Like that whole model doesn't really make sense. But there isn't a clear solution to it yet. Because like vid- I don't think online courses are quite there yet. No, There's definitely something lost there. It kind of reminds me of the debate between like working remotely slash working in an office. Mm-hmm. It's like I do value working remotely and I think people should be able to but it's not as if nothing is lost there. Like something is lost there. And I do think it is important to have a certain amount of office time. Right. And like, I would be skeptical of a company that was like, all of our engineers are remote. You're yep. like, hmm, because so much, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. so much of this, of these like r- problems, I feel like are, you have to get people in a room and you have to have these like awkward human interactions where people like debate and are forced to think about things. Um, and it's too easy to not do that <laughs> remotely.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think just physical institutions Like like a university, like it's a zone that you step into, and like this environment is just uh, you know it's for education. Like it's just a big set aside area of education. It's just like one of the perk trees you want on your civilization. I think
1: (laughs) the perk trees culture boost spec hard spec respect.
0: Yeah, Uh, I want to give a shout out right now to uh, Brian Esselman, Dr. Brian Esselman. We both took Esselman organic chemistry classes. Yeah, and I think he's the way he runs his course. The way he runs his courses, um, I think is like a model that should be immediately adopted by tons of other courses in almost every university Mm -hmm. um, because he's just iterated so fast on how to run an organic chemistry course, how to use technology, how to use data, how to teach a bunch of people a bunch of hard information like regularly every Mm -hmm. semester, how to use TAs, how to grade tests, like just the whole cohesiveness of how much thought and time he's put into his course. Um, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, we, ha- we all had the math teacher, you know, we were in like Calc two or whatever. And there was like 500 people in there, everyone from pre-med to engineers to psych majors who, you know, are in there for whatever fucking credit reason. And it's an old textbook and it's some Russian researcher who's like trying to teach people about fucking curl and multivariable. It, this is, this sucks. This is not working. You know, Yes. I, was, I just like stopped going. Uh, I'm not learning anything. I don't know how to apply it. Whatever. And then you have Brian Esselman, who has to ki- has to teach three hundred and fifty students organic chemistry uh, every semester. And you have the online lectures. You have huge room full of TAs to answer questions. A ton of optional problem sets. Right now, that's like mandatory homework. Mm-hmm. Um, You've given all the resources to learn and like kind of an ethos of learning. To and then, the, like, the stats and the technical use to, to back it all up. You know, they grade the tests the night of, and you get your test the next morning, and they make the test hard enough so that you can actually curve it. And he yes. does, like, an actual statistical curve. Like, he uses a curve in the correct statistical way, right? He yes. doesn't just, like, hand out some A's, or he doesn't just, like, top 10% get A's, you know, or uh, if you're above 90 points uh, out of 100 you get an a or all this bullshit he like actually uses a curve the way it was supposed to be used and like all those things that make a course like fucking phenomenal and i still have like all the materials i learned a ton and i still like just appreciate just that academic experience yeah almost comprehensively
1: That was a huge um, part of my, like, academic disillusionment, I feel like. It's like, I finished undergrad, started grad school, and I was a TA my first year. And I kind of got to see, uh, you kind of get to see how, like, the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's different between different courses. But um, I was a TA for a research methods, like, lab course, and... Uh, It did not use the correct uh, curving method. It did the total bullshit one. And not only that, but a lot of like, you know, poorly designed tests where they weren't hard enough. So the data didn't even create like a normal distribution. And then you're like doing this weird curve on top of it. And I having the top eye view of like all the students that were in my lab courses, seeing how it like totally unfairly redistributed them. It was just like this horrifying thing where I was like, God, I was just a student. I knew this was bullshit. Now I'm the TA doing it and it totally is bullshit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I fucking knew this the whole time and it's just so unfair. And I remember trying to explain to the professor, like we had this thing and the professor was trying to make this call like, oh, I think we do the, the cutoff here. And I was like, what? That's totally unfair to these students that are right here. Like what? Oh, you know, well, you know, add a couple points to their test. Like. What? Like, are you yeah. freaking kidding? Like, do you know how much some of these kids care about this? You know, E.W. Madison, yeah. like, these are kids that are trying to go to med school. Like, do you know how much some of them care? And, like, they come to the office hours and are trying to figure this stuff out and are, like, trying as hard as they can to, to control every factor. And then, meanwhile, behind closed doors, you're applying, like, a totally arbitrary curve on a poorly written test and adding points to students' tests so you feel we're, like, hurt by the curve unfairly. Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> and I was just like, this is bullshit and i just it was a big part of my like disillusionment with like the whole system i was like because it's like how can a professor like how can someone get this far in this system and not get this yeah like how you know what i mean it just was like holy shit this whole thing could be fucked like right never be
0: never be confronted about how you actually teach people and how you run an education
1: course yeah it's just absolutely horrifying um, and also, it makes you question like their research, right? Because like, if you don't understand the distribution of a test and how like, you know, in, in a way that's data you're collecting, right? And then you're, you're yep. like refactoring the distribution to give people grades. Like if you don't understand that concept and how you're like biased and how you're applying the distribution, how on earth are you, are, are you understanding it in the context of like complex biology? Like you can't be, right? (laughs) So that means that you don't get the first principle of how this like data works, which means that like you can't be doing any sort of useful research by definition. It's like, Can we talk about shit. how
0: this was one rat? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, like my yeah. favorite. That's my favorite. Parker disillusionment with <laughs> academia. <laughs> like, Oh, oh it could God. be this mechanism working on this mechanism. Oh, but it could also be this mechanism working on this mechanism. Can we talk yeah. about how this was one rat? It was one <laughs> rat,
1: dude. I'm in, I enjoy so immensely still, and I, I retweet these every once in a while. I'm I'm enjoying so immensely watching um, uh, academic psychology and basic biology, like biomedical science, just kind of slowly collapse. As I go down, like, this other path. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it kind of started a little bit before I was in grad school, and I didn't fully understand how big of a problem it was until I was in my my stat sequence. And we were just talking about all these reproducibility failures and like poor statistics and psychology and biology and like learned like the actual like first principles of like okay here's how this these statistics are done and we can do this thing called a power analysis which you know it can help you calculate how big would your sample size have to be to actually detect an effect if it existed and then learning that like whatever crazy percent of medical and psychology research doesn't even hit that bare minimum um and since there's like no incentive to do it, like a lot of these fields are just straight up chasing noise. Like right, mm-hmm. if you do an, if you do an experiment with two rats, you could do it a thousand times and it could turn out a different way every time because of the noise and you just write a paper about the noise. And then there's like yeah. this whole like publish or perish issue where pre- professors are just pr- pressured to publish. So they just are measuring noise and then writing a, like a coherent like view of how that noise, uh, interpreting that noise. And you mm-hmm. could just do it, you could just do it forever yep um and you would never get any closer to the truth and it immediately like helped me like see through like some of these crappy fields and i was like oh man like there's a big difference between scientific fields and some of them are making progress and some of them aren't and they, they almost go through uh like bubbles in a way like similar similar to like economic bubbles where like a mm-hmm. field will get bloated with with shitty research and no progress and it takes a collapse and new scientists coming in shifting the paradigm to actually make progress and then it starts again um And the last thing you want to do is enter a field that is collapsing, just like you wouldn't have wanted to um, start a a dot-com company right at the height of the dot-com bubble. It's like, you know, no matter if that was your dream, like that is not the time to get into that field.
0: That the professor of the like research methods course couldn't understand why you were saying his methods for analyzing data like of the course is such yeah. like a meta <laughs> like, it's know, such like a meta irony. Of, oh, it's horrible. It, it's not that hard to change. It's not like th- this is, these are known. We have known yeah. solutions here. Yeah, we're uh, just doing it wrong. It's not that like we're, we're not getting the results that we want, or it's not working, or whatever. It's just you're just doing it wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of academia a lot of fucking society in general but a lot of academia is just not applying the things we know that work a yeah, lot of it is
1: and just, companies probably
0: yeah yeah companies too uh yeah a lot of society is like maybe there's just like a, a an information diffusion problem um or maybe we can't find that signal through the noise of life that mm-hmm. like most thing, you, most things are known like how to do most things personal finance is one of those things too where it's like yes this is this is a thing this you need a budget why why nab man uh, yeah yeah it just you, you got to do it you gotta you gotta have a budget um yeah. personal finance starts with a budget there's no other way to get around it and everyone should do personal
1: finance the thing is you sound like an ass. like i have friends that'll like yeah come up and talk to me oh i'm thinking about you know oh i'm starting i'm gonna think i'm gonna download Robinhood and like start buying stocks you know i'm trying to mm-hmm. think about you know my investments and stuff like that and it's like oh well do you have a nest egg set up are you fully funded in your your roth ira and do you have a 401k that where your company's matching yet you know like yeah. oh man don't tell me how to do my investments right it's like okay now i'm the asshole even though it's like it's common knowledge right that like these are the three first steps to yep. setting up your personal finance like right have a nest egg make sure your 401k and roth ira are maxed out it's like the way to optimize your tax benefits right then start thinking about investments like stocks and stuff like that yeah. people don't even do like that base that it's like did you even google that like right (laughs) blows my mind yeah a a lot of it is a
0: failure of uh, institutions too right like um i had to file an extension to file my taxes this year this is the first year i've ever filed taxes and i just didn't know how to do it i was like oh shit this is something i went through fucking 20 years of public education and the government never told me how to pay it (laughs) (laughs) they never told me how to fucking do this Uh, and so i got to learn from scratch how did you do it? How, what did you do? Uh, we just use my parents' TurboTax. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, I would. I want to learn how to do it. I'm. I'm gonna learn how to do it for next time around. Um, but it's just like there's just a there was a failure here that the, the <laughs> yeah. you know there's an institutional failure like I went through government public education this is,
1: this should be fucking day one how to pay me. Uh, here, here's a here's a, a turns out for you. Got a good one. I use TurboTax, and I had like the same kind of moment a couple of years ago where I my stepdad was like, "All right, now it's your turn to do your tax for the first time," and did my taxes through like TurboTax and submitted it. And like TurboTax, like you pay once you're ready to submit your taxes, mm-hmm. and and you pay for like each state or and then the federal government to send it in. And um it turns out that the company that owns turbo tax and runs it um into it their name is huge yeah. company i don't know i should look up their current market cap um they spend um millions of dollars a year lobbying the government to make sure that the tax process um doesn't get simplified yep isn't that the most <laughs> just it, it's just another one of those things where it's like oh my god like not <laughs> it's just so fucked in so many ways it's absurdly complicated to file out your taxes And absurdly old school, right? Like, the IRS has your information. They ask you for the same information. You send it in. They make sure that you sent in the same thing they have. Because if you didn't, they'll audit your ass. Mm -hmm. And then they send you, like, some of your money back. And it's all, like, complicated and multiple forms. And there's all these, like, different things you have to sign up for a company exists to to help simplify that and help you send it in but then they're spending money to make sure that it stays complicated on the government side so that their market doesn't disappear it's just it's so there's fucked a, man there's a whole industry
0: that that survives on the complication and we think like markets are like this efficient thing no 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. super fucked up this is this is a known inconsistency uh, i think there's been there's been uh, articles written studies done that it would be much cheaper for everyone if uh, we just—if the government did your taxes for you, right? Yeah. Um, which is basically what they do anyway. I mean, they just withhold your income tax. Uh, you know, they're they're halfway there. They have all the money already. Most of it's just refund, filling out forms to get a refund. Yeah. Um, and so if they just did that, then everyone would save a lot of money, and it would be so much easier. And it's just like clearly the way to go. I mean, it's just it's just getting rid of the penny, right? It's just like all these little yeah. things, and it's like clearly the better option. But there's no one rallying for. The change, yeah. and so you just get to, you just get these companies that just get to piggyback off this inefficiency. They're just little wells. They're just little. I mean, it's a local maximum, I guess.
1: Yeah, dude, it's so. Also, whenever I experience those things, I don't know about you, but it's so demoralizing. I find mm-hmm. it so demoralizing because I try to live my life in like an optimized way, right? And I'm trying to constantly think of process and automating things in my life and setting up auto pay and all this stuff. And then one of these things happens, and you're just like this is absurd mm-hmm. and it's so like like here's like an example of like what like this happened to me just the past week like I feel like you know I'm trying to like fine-tune my life and like things are I'm zipping along I'm taking online courses and like moving moving through jobs I'm learning a ton I feel like I'm just like on the highway at 100 miles an hour and I need to get uh, I need to get a new pair of glasses so I go to have my I'm like okay I have vision insurance what does it cover and it took me a couple hours just to find where my vision insurance is held in this crazy benefit software that my company uses. <laughs> Took forever just to find it. Then for whatever reason, like it wasn't linked to my social security number or something. So then I had to call customer service and go through like a whole nest of nasty robocalls. Then I get on the line with the person and it turns out it's a bug in their system and they have to like reset my account and it's gonna take a couple days. And then they reset my account. It takes a couple days. I log in. I see my, my, what my benefits are. And then I'm like, okay, how do I get these for where I'm getting my vision tested? And the lady's like, okay, well, you need to go. And then you need to get the receipt. And then you need to, to print the receipt and your reimbursement <laughs> form and mail it to us. And then we will process it and mail you whatever money back on it plus X percent. And it's going to take like X months. And it, it literally feels like I'm on the highway going 50 miles an hour and I just hit like stop and go traffic. And it's just like, why? It's just so frustrating. Like this is all easily like automatable, right? Like why does my health insurance, why isn't it easy to access? Why doesn't it link up to every eye exam place in the city? Why it just all of this could be done so much better. Why is it a shitty robocall system? That I have to go through a hundred menus. And then this has happened to me a couple times too, where these menus just fucking suck. These robocall <laughs> menus. Like I, I try to, there's like little tricks you can use. Like sometimes if you swear at robocall systems, they automatically forward you to a person. <laughs> That's so awesome. I'll, It'll just like call and I'll be like, okay, are you looking to find your vision insurance? Or are you looking to find your health insurance? It's like, well, no, I'm trying to link my accounts. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Connecting (laughs) you to a live person. (laughs) It's just like, like why? This whole thing is just so inefficient. And built on this inefficiency are just like thousands and thousands of jobs, right? Like the woman who I talk to, whose job it is to sit there and deal with pissed off people who can't work the shitty software which can't connect to the the same like eye exams that everyone is taking. The whole thing is fucked all the way. And like people are just working in every link and none of them are necessary. And it just like, it's just like, Oh, <laughs> why are we building anything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, this is why the idea of
0: creating jobs is dumb. Cause yeah. you know, obviously we use the example of breaking rocks in a room or having one line of people put something together and another line of people pulling it apart whatever. Um, you know, and, and people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, you don't understand value creation and blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, uh, uh you know, this would this would cater to the economy or whatever. And it's like, no, that's mostly what the economy is right now. It's mostly propped up by that. Like, it's just this kind of perpetual motion machine of, you know, uh, shittiness built on other shittiness. Um, and once you get rid of the shittiness, like we, we have this thing called technology and we're going to apply it directly to the forehead and it's <laughs> going to get rid of a lot of the shittiness. Um and it's a good thing we want that like this is we can make it better but that's going to get rid of a lot of jobs it's going to be a net decrease in a lot of jobs um yeah which is great because it's going to get rid of the shitty jobs in the shitty thing that was uh shitty um so like this is this is a good thing where technology is just a shittiness reduction uh mechanism typically um and And so and there's just like this there's just like this fear of like we need the shittiness um or like the shittiness is good. The shittiness is necessary. The shittiness is like this, uh, like uh, I don't know. This Panglossian. This is the way it is. Like it's better than yeah. it used to be, or whatever. It's like, yeah. God, no. This is or objectively it's the, shitty.
1: It's the or it's the um uh the the baby boomer mentality where you express that this thing is shitty, and and their response is, oh, ha! I remember my first time. Like, doing my taxes. Yeah. Like, you'll learn, like, this is what it takes to do it. And it's like, well, no. Th- this is what it takes to do it because it's done shittily. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm pro-better here. Like, we should fix the system. Like, there's no reason it should be this <laughs> shitty. And I think that's part of why it's come to this, Um, um, like, the modern way of, like, the only way to get rid of this stuff is to do, like, the disruption buzzword thing. Right. It's like some of these industries just will not change themselves. Like, it's this, like, the healthcare industry or whatever, this insurance industry is this crazy It's like this really crazy, shitty GitHub code base that works, Mm -hmm. right? And like no one knows quite how it works. We just know people go in one end and they get what they want out the other. And that system is never going to just replace itself. Um, It does work just crazy inefficiently and its nasty noodly code. And it does all this inefficient shit, but it does work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It takes takes a huge server farm when like you look at it and you think you could probably do it um, with a much smaller server farm, but you're like how do we get to that how do we transfer yeah. the code uh so this? we
1: are the only way to get around it is like this crazy disruption shit where it's just like okay well we have to just like bootstrap a totally separate system and destroy the entire industry right yeah it's just like it shouldn't yeah. be that way the industry should help solve itself but it doesn't it, it seeks to like protect its own survival be
0: the change you want to see in the world
1: no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time one of the things I feel like maybe happened first and most strongly in like the open source movement and like the software engineering world is the idea that you're you're kind of you're loyal to your community not to your your, your like a, your immediate employer or whatever you're doing now mm-hmm. um, and like I love I love this idea where like I'm a part of like the, I feel like I identify strongly with like the data community. And like I follow the data community like on Twitter and I read the newsletters and I follow when things are being released. And I love like the open source projects and stuff like that. And I bring that stuff into my job, right? Like I, I use that to stay up on like what the new things are and to, to push back on bad ideas and like bring new ideas in and learn and stuff like that. And um, I feel like it's just such an advantage, just like it, diverse people in your field who aren't aligned with that right like i'm a part of the broader community and i work in this job and i'm going to go to a different job but i'm still a part of this community and i want to contribute things to that to the community your work isn't happening in a silo and contributing to the open source and i think it's just like a new way of doing things where you're not siloed in your company you are a part of like this bigger community and you're like rented out by your your company to bring that community into their company right and you leave with it and the most well-known companies that are just killing it are killing it in that domain also so like Airbnb and Netflix have like amazing like data blogs, and they contribute like some of the coolest open source tools that help everybody solve data problems everywhere. And it's completely open source, right? And it's like, that's where I want to work, right? I want to work at, on a team like that, that's contributing to the broader community and their firm. And I think I just I love that ethos of the tech community. And I feel like it comes from the software engineering world a bit where it's like, Yeah, why are we all trying to do the same thing at 100 separate companies? We should all be part of like a community that's building that are building some of these tools then we can all use them everywhere
0: removing competition where it doesn't help you yeah you know, competition is one way to get to a goal but there's a lot of other ways to get there and I think we we definitely especially in the United States we'd like fucking oh man a market that's the most efficient way to get there right I can create a market and the best solutions will rise to the top no absolutely absolutely not (laughs) like actually in a minority of cases is that true yeah not solved by markets most most of the major problems we have in global society are solutions are not going to be market-based they're market failures you know clearly healthcare in the united states (laughs) energy and climate you know there's obviously like market sectors where this is you know helpful like if you have a better technology and then you can make more money etc rocket engineering right if you could just make a reusable rocket, then you force the rest of the market to catch up to you or die, you know? Mm-hmm. Markets are, are good for solving like kind of micro problems, like individual problems, taking like leaps forward. But as far as like global societal problems, like having a market figure out the solution, it's like, no, we know the solution. Let's all collaborate. Let's look like move in the direction of better here, you know, and, and be able to, we need a mechanism to fuck over the people that are holding us back, essentially. Uh, yeah. Because you know, there's all these companies that, that like TurboTax or whatever, H&R Block, that just completely have access to a market because of an inefficiency, because of, we know the solution. It's to get the IRS to just do our taxes for us.
1: To modernize the system. Yeah,
0: and modernize the system. But they have like the market share. They have the money. They have the lobby. They have markets created them or whatever, and now markets are maintaining them, even though it's a shitty solution to a, a problem that could otherwise be solved by collaboration and uh, nationalization.